What's up, YouTube? It's your boy, Robert Ricks. I need to get, uh, I need to log into my shit here. And, uh, I had lost track of time. I apologize. I just need to do this. Let's go here. Yeah, I just need to go right here. Here. Come on, YouTube, work with me. Go here. And then go here. Pop this out. All right. It's Easter. I hope you guys are doing well on this Easter, all things considered. And uh, there we go. All right, so we're good to go. And we're going to go ahead and continue reading... Um, Magic really sucks, but the book doesn't. And uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy this as much as I will reading it because I actually do get a little bit of a tickle out of reading the, uh, the story because a lot of times I forget what I write and then I go back and I, I read it and I'm like, huh, that's pretty, pretty, pretty funny. So yeah, I'm like one of those comedians that laughs at their own jokes. So anyway, I just, you know, so we'll go ahead and continue here now. Chapter 12. What is my future? Valk's apartment, 131, or 131, I should say. Mina Street, San Francisco, California, 2.45 p.m., April 5th. So where is this oracle at? she here in the city? Asked Ethan. Kinda, you know Alcatraz? Falk was grabbing items from around the apartment and loading them into a Maxpedition black backpack that Ethan recognized from a YouTube video review. His was a different model and hers was older and broken in. The, the jail? Tour spot? Yep. She's at the jail? No. You gotta go through the jail to get to her. She's cautious. A lot of folks would like to lock her up and have her be their private little fortune teller. I was thinking, like, a fortune teller's shop, crystal balls, maybe even dead chickens. Wasn't expecting Alcatraz, joked Sparkles. It gets creepier. Once we're there, we go to sub-levels that aren't supposed to exist. Really? asked Ethan excitedly. Yep. You guys all ready? I have a spell locked in for Alcatraz in a nice private spot where we shouldn't be noticed. Once we get through the silver gates, though, things get a little odd, so make sure to stay close to me. Sparkles grinned at Ethan. It's like an adventure. So exciting. Yeah. Valk smiled, and Ethan was relieved that Sparkles was trying to add some levity to the situation. No worries. Yeah. It got a little heavier than I thought it would, apologized Sparkles. Man, that's rough. Growing up in foster care after foster care wasn't very much fun, but it was nothing compared to what she went through. Okay, here we go. Falk's form shifted, and she was her natural self, and she glanced at Ethan and smiled. Falk traced a simple glyph in the air and said, Nostradamus. A small light appeared in the center of the room, and it began to stretch, and Ethan could see a faint, foggy image through the light and watched as Valk walked into it with purpose and speed. 
Sparkles jumped through. Ethan was close behind. There was no wishing, no flash, or anything out of the ordinary. It was similar to the feeling of walking from outside on a very warm day to inside a store that had the air conditioner set too high. He passed through the fogginess and realized it wasn't that the image was blurry because of magic, but rather the area they had entered was filled with fog obscuring the vision. Is this fog? he asked as he had never seen fog up close and personal before. Yeah, although I don't know why there'd be this much fog this time of the day. I've been here in the evening and seen it once before, but not during a day like this. It's good luck for us then, said Sparkles. I mean, it's less likely we'll be seen, right? Valk shrugged. Not like I was worried about it. Not like I was worried about the normal seeing us. What? What else is here? Asked Sparkles on alert. Could be any number of things. I've seen quite a few ghosts here. Rumors of other more powerful things as well. Let's keep moving. Valk was quick and silent. Ethan was keeping up, but was also making noise as he went. Ethan, let me help you there. You might draw too much attention, said Cat. How? Remember with Margo and Randy? Yeah. I was working on your facial muscle. I was working on your facial muscles in your mouth. Let me help you move correctly. Fine with me. I don't think you'll manage any better. Ethan again felt the electrical tingling, and this time it reached all the way to his feet. Let's see. Ethan suddenly crouched and moved as quietly as quietly as Valk, who noticed and glanced back. That's better. Glad to see you figured out how to be sneaky. She winked her good eye at him. Thanks, he grumbled. That's neat, cat. Can you do that to me as well? Maybe make me more clumsy and oafish like Ethan so we can be twinners? Yes, I could if there was a need for me to help you with something, but I doubt I'd be much help to a fake hat. Never know. Might be interesting. I mean, if I get knocked out, could you get me up and going? I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. I think as long as you have the goggles on, I could make your legs work and get you to safety. Well, in case things get funky in here, I might want you to do that. Sparkles felt a charge flow through her and shivered slightly. That was freaky. Will it work now? Yes. Let's hope nothing happens where I'd have to say both of you. Yeah, no kidding, thought Ethan as he focused on a key word to get back to Sanctuary. Probably not a bad idea if things get crazy in there. They followed Valk for another hundred yards and found a small silver gate on the outer wall that logically seemed to take them outside of the prison. Ethan was about to comment on it when Valk opened it and pointed a flashlight into its dark passageway, which seemed to extend as far as he could see. He thought back to Melissa's apartment and nodded. Okay, let's follow the scary passageway, choked Ethan. Hey, it was your idea to come and see the Oracle, reminded Valk. Yeah, yeah, I know. Valk started in and Ethan and Sparkles followed. The silver gate slowly closed without a sound behind him. How far is she from here? Probably about a ten minute walk. That far? Yeah. We go through two more doors and then we're at her place. You'll know it when you see it. Ethan nodded and they kept walking. At first, the air was filled with a deep chill, but as they had passed the silver gate, they felt the temperature go up. The hallways there were 
The hallways they were walking in had widened up to allow the three of them to walk side by side. The walls looked like earthen tunnels, and there was a damp soil smell that filled their noses. They arrived at the first door, which seemed newer and out of place in the earthen tunnels. There were two doorknobs on it, and a small sign hung from the center of the top. It simply read, Nephilim only. Turns the knobs one at a time. That would be you then, said Valk. Is there a way to do it? Valk shrugged. No idea. When I came through the first time, there was a combination lock and it said his birthday. And I put my dad's birthday in and the door opened. Ethan nodded. Okay. He reached out, turned the top knob. He felt current beginning to flow through him and he couldn't let go of the handle. He reached the other knob and watched as sparks streaked from him to the knob as he did. He made contact with the other knob and there was a loud crackling and a buzzing. He felt his skin burn. He screamed out as he turned the knobs and the door opened. The electricity slowly diminished until he was able to release the knobs. He looked at the sizzling skin on his burned hands. What the hell? he hissed. Falk stared at him in horror, and the fear on her face told him how bad he looked. Don't be concerned. That would have killed a normal human. But to you, it's just an annoyance, said Cat. Annoyance? I'm burned up here. Or are you? asked Sparkles. Ethan was going to say something when he noticed. His hands started healing quickly. Get the hell out of here, said Valk as she watched in amazement. So these doors are meant to only allow the specific person in. That's some damn potent magic, said Sparkles with a grin. Guess so. Couldn't find a less painful way? That hurt. It would have hurt more. I tried my best to turn off most of the pain receptors once I figured out what was happening, said Cat sympathetically. Oh, thanks. If that was just a taste, I don't want to know what I would have felt, what it would have felt like without you. You're welcome. I got a little bit as well, so yeah, not fun. They passed through the door, and Ethan glanced over to Valk. You said there are two doors before we get to the Oracle's place. Is the second door special too? In a way it was. For me, I had to answer a question that only I knew the answer to. Okay, I hope it would be something like that for me. The last door was a little shocking for me. Ethan, you're killing me. I think I see a pattern here, yelled Sparkles. Yeah, what pattern? When you get scared or stressed, you start dropping jokes. I think it's a coping mechanism, right? Ethan shrugged. Probably. They walked on as they turned a corner. An imposingly large black door stood in front of them. It had a small card tucked neatly in a small gunmetal-covered slit. What does it say? asked Sparkles. What are you most afraid of? What is it? Spiders? Snakes? Death? Ethan thought about the question. He thought back to Melissa and frowned. He was about to say something when he felt Cat calming him with a wave of cool emotions. Relax, Ethan. You don't have to worry about judgment. You can answer this question. No, I can't. I don't know the answer. Yes, you do. It's just you and me. Sparkles isn't here with us at this moment. I'm not sure it's the right answer. Think back to all the previous relationships. Ethan did, and he realized there was a pattern there. It all makes sense when you stop and think about it. Nothing to be ashamed of. Ethan took a deep breath, and in a soft whisper said, Commitment. 
The door opened slowly and Val gave him a quick glance with no judgment on her face. She was indifferent and didn't seem surprised by his answer. Ethan started walking, content that he was not going to be embarrassed by his answer when Sparkles blurted out, Oh, that's why you didn't rock it with Melissa. She was wondering. That makes sense. Sparkles. What? It's all good, right, homie? Yeah, whatever. Ethan felt his face heat up and realized it wasn't just the embarrassment that flushed him. It had gotten hotter and hotter as they had continued down the passageway, and he was surprised and also concerned. Does it get hotter? He asked, realizing he was sweating. A little bit more. We're pretty close now. Ethan noticed roots in the lining of the hallway. They entered into a large passageway which opened up into a huge cavern. In the center of it, they saw massive roots in a colossal trunk of a tree that had a door and several small windows around its perimeter. Whoa, said Ethan. Yep, that's her place, nodded Valk. She lives in a tree? That's sick, said Sparkles. They walked on for another three minutes, and as they got closer, Ethan realized this tree was by far the largest he had ever seen in his entire life. He wondered what the top of the tree looked like. The door in front of them was roughly ten feet tall by five feet wide with huge iron bands that crossed the front of it. There was a large iron knocker that rested against one of the bands. Ethan grabbed it, knocked twice. The sound of the knocks were like muffled explosion in a chamber. The acoustics were off, and Ethan couldn't put his finger on why. Too much bass? Too much treble? Maybe echo? He wasn't sure. His thoughts were interrupted as the door swung outward. Ethan was staring forward, expecting to meet the gaze of a wide old, wise old woman. But as he gazed, looked down, he was staring at the eyes of a young girl who couldn't be older than twelve. Hello? He said cautiously. Oh my, you are here. Come in, come in. I'm so very excited she said in a high-pitched voice. Ethan walked through the doorway and the rest followed. He glanced back and saw the small smile on Valk's face. He realized the look on his face must have been priceless. The oracle ran past him and sat on a large chair which seemed as if it had been carved out of the walls themselves. So, Nephlin, I'm sure you have a bunch of questions, but first, let me see your hands. Ethan extended his hands, which were completely healed up. Excellent. No damage. I was 99% sure that the first test wouldn't leave a scar. Yeah, that sucked, by the way, Ethan said, irritated as he thought back to the experience. It sucked? Worse for them. Who? The oracle made a few passes in the air and image after image of different people attempted to open a door. There were 20 floating images and Sparkles looked at them and shook her head. Did they die? Yep. You killed them? Ethan asked. Asked Ethan shocked. Nope. They killed themselves. They all knew exactly what a Nephilim was. Where are their bodies? The ground eats them. The, the ground? Yep, the great tree and the earth protects me. You mean the earth, like the whole planet earth? No, the earth, the dirt, the soil. It's special here. It protects me. Helps me focus my vision. How old are you, if you don't mind me asking, asked Ethan. Old enough to remember the other Nephilim. Been a long time. So I guess you were expecting me. Small stools rose up from the wooden floors and they all took a seat. The oracle laughed, a cute little laugh. Yes, I was. When Valk found me and wanted to know more about the path she walks, I saw you as an invaluable part, invaluable part of her puzzle. She'll help you and in doing so will discover the information she 
she seeks. Ethan felt frustrated. Is this going to be a meeting where there's a lot of cryptic riddles that we won't understand now, but later go, oh, that's what she was referring to? I never understood why it was like that in the movies and stories. Easy. Entertainment. Also, there are rules I have to follow. I'm trying to come straight out and tell you things, but powerful magic keeps that in check. I can show you what I mean. Ethan gave her a seriously look, and she smiled back warmly at him. The look on his face faded as he felt a deep cold snake up his leg into his chest and his face. What is that? A taste of what it is to be me. What does that mean? Valk, ask him where you met at. It was Club Feist, right? Valk nodded. Ethan, where did we meet at? Oh, this is stupid. Answer it and, we'll s and let's see. We met where bodies come together in the flames and the ice. What the hell? Thought Ethan frustrated. That's interesting. Let me into control. Yeah, go for it. There was a dull ache that pressed deep into Ethan's mind. It felt like a super brain freeze. Ouch! That's never happened before. I can't help out. Okay, I get it. The oracle chuckled and waved her hand and the chill left Ethan. We met at Club Vice, he blurted out, relieved he could speak freely. So let me get this straight. You can see the future, but you can't really tell anyone about it in plain English. You have to do it coded or in riddles? She nodded, still smiling. And you're cool with it? It's my part to play. Okay, so you knew I'd come to you. You knew where I was going to be. So I know you have skills. The question I have is, do you know what I will end up being? The oracle nodded slowly. Is it good? Good and bad are purely subjective. A lot of time we place the description of good and bad based on silly emotional constructs. A car breaks down and it's bad. But maybe if the car had not broken down, you might have had a horrible accident in which a child died. Everything has a purpose and a meaning. So what you consider bad will be good for another. Great. Now you're getting all Dalai Lama on me? She smiled at Ethan and gently shrugged. It is what it is. I am happy you are here, though. I do have something I need from you. You do? Yes. I suspect if you help me with what I need, you will get a, you will glimpse some of what you need. What do you, what do you need? Ethan asked, his eyes narrowing with suspicion. There's a deck of trumps that were stolen from me long ago. The worst part is that thieves divided up the majority the major trump cards, and so the deck is incomplete. I have managed to gather most of them over the years, but I am still missing five. The deck was a gift from my mother. It was the last thing of her I have. Each card returned to me will allow me to better answer your questions. Hang on. This is a lot like the RPGs I used to play. Quest giver gives me a quest. I complete it. Gain XP. Some magical gear. Sparkle shook her head. D&D &D nerd? The oracle smiled wider. Yes, I see how this seems trivial to you, but understand, the trumps are very powerful. I wish to have them back not only because there is sentimental value to them, but also because they are too powerful to be out among the mortals. If they fall into the wrong hands, things tend to go very badly for humans. Take, for example, this card. She held her hand up, and the Emperor card was there. Ethan examined the card and was amazed by the beauty of it, the craftsmanship. 
The art was unlike anything he had seen before. There were bands of energy that circled the card, and he could sense the power of it. You are aware of how to scan magical items? Ethan nodded. Then I invite you to see the history of this card, if you, hand, if you can handle it. The smile deepened as she extended the card to him. He reached out and paused for a moment. He glanced at Valk, who stared at him stared at him in anticipation. Sparkles was not smiling, and she also watched. Ethan took the card in hand, and it felt icy cold, like a sheet of metal that had been left in the snow. Images started to flow into his mind's eye. He saw a small Jewish man rushing to cover, rush, rushing to cover the card in leather and stash it within a book he smuggled into America. Another image flashed in his mind, and he saw Adolf Hitler with the card in hand. He caressed the card, put it in his uniform pocket, and was introduced by Joseph Jobbles. He started his speech, and as he did, the card in his pocket warmed up and the warmth spread outwards and covered the audience who listened to his speech. The card would continue to do his master's bidding as the Great World War continued. Ethan saw flashes of war, atrocities, sadness, grief, pain, suffering, lies. Ethan quickly handed the card back to the Oracle, understanding full well what she was afraid of. What are the five cards? The Oracle motioned. The Emperor car rose and vanished. The five cards that I need to be found are as follows. The Empress, the Magician, Judgment, the Lovers, and the Fool. I can see all but the last. Ethan nodded. Each has some sort of power associated with like, with it like the Emperor card? Yes, that one card was responsible for over 60 million deaths. These cards can do similar feats if in the wrong hands. Fortunately, three of the four are not actively being used. They are hidden away or lost to man. The fourth card, Judgment, has been found. I suspect its power will be discovered soon. The hidden power of a card in the hands of one who fully knows its potential is to bring about the end of man. The last card is being hidden from me. I assume the holder of that card knows its power well. The Fool card is very powerful. Okay, we can focus on that later. You said you know where the judgment card is? Yes. I know where and who has it. Who? You know him well. I do? Yes. His name is Randy. Randy who? The Randy you helped kill with Mordecai. Oh, damn. Alright. Chapter 13. Good to be back. Hellgate. April 5th, 12 hours earlier. Randy was anxious. The Dark Master had made an example out of Margot, and the last thing he wanted was to share her fate. He didn't like Margot. In fact, he despised her. The mission had started out easy enough. Befriend a human named Ethan and just keep an eye on him. He had not even learned that Ethan was a Nephilim until year five when Margot had let it slip. The Nephilim was a stuff of legend for him and other freshly created demons. There were some old-timers who claimed to have seen the last batch of Nephilim that had walked the earth before the Shining Father had taken care of all but a handful of them, saving the humans from the ravenous giants. Demons had no love for Nephilim. They were abominations, the offspring of fallen watchers and human women. After Randy had learned that Ethan was a Nephilim, he was curious. 
Ethan was a good friend, and Randy had enjoyed all the interactions they had shared over the years, so it was hard when Margot had passed the news on that if Ethan had learned of his abilities, he was to be subdued quickly, and if that wasn't possible, he was to be killed. So when Ethan had said the word Nephilim, part of Randy exploded in fear. He knew if he didn't get Ethan, Margot would have, and she would have brutalized him. Margot hated Ethan to the core and blamed him for the fact she was sitting on the outside world in an existence that was, in her words, beneath her. She was lined up for archdemon training, and when she initially had heard of the potential of harvesting a Nephilim, she thought it would springboard her into a promotion she so coveted. Yeah, look what that got you, you dumb bitch, Randy muttered to himself. Randy was riding an elevator made of flesh that still had veins oozing some form of liquid which powered the device. The operator of the elevator turned and faced him. Excuse me? Not, not you. My previous associate overreached and was obliterated. I see. The operator turned his attention back to the elevator's control, and at a point he was sure they were near the destination, he pulled a lever, which was made of a heavily muscled arm. They slowed to a stop and the doors opened. Randy thanked the operator and continued down a steamy, dimly lit hallway until he stood in front of a room with a black door had a sign that read, Ring Bell for Service. He looked around and couldn't find the bell, so he simply slammed his huge fist on the door. The door opened and a small woman stared at him with thick glasses. Ah, Randy, been expecting you. Please come in. Randy did as he was told and he waited. Your demonic body back on the earth was killed, so we needed to find you another body to use. We have a young man who has sworn himself to Lucifer and is scheduled to kill himself in the next five minutes, so your timing is perfect. She showed him a mirror, and in it he could see a well-groomed man preparing a rope for suicide. Oh man, a neck breaker? I hope he doesn't actually break his neck and, suffoca and suffocates instead. It's hard to work with a broken neck. Yes, I know. He will die without the broken neck, so you don't need to be concerned about that. Is there anything I should be aware of when I'm taking possession of his body, crazy ex-girlfriends, drug cartels? He embezzled a few million dollars from his job, and they found out. He has some money hidden around in various places, but the human police most likely will be searching for him. Not too thoroughly, but if you do get caught for something else, they will nail you, and a dark father will not be pleased. Yes, I know. You understand the mission? Yes. Good. Lucifer wanted you to have two things. Okay, what's that? This. She handed Randy a small nail. What do I do with this? It's special. When you get to the surface, you'll need something to help you find Ethan. That nail will point you in his general direction. What's the range? As long as he's on the earth, it will point to his direction. If he's in a pocket dimension or off phase, you won't get a reading. And if he dies, it will still point to his body. Lucifer has instructed me to tell you, if he dies, you need to bring the body back here. Okay, got it. What's the other thing? This. The small woman pressed her finger on Randy's forehead, and directions and information flowed into his mind. What is that? It's a powerful artifact you will retrieve. Lucifer has more than one task planned for you. The card has been missing for decades and was recently reported to be in the possession of an Asian hitman. 
Retrieve the card, and it may help you in your mission against the Nephilim. Randy took a deep breath. Fine. So this is my first human possession at the time of death. What should I expect? It's different than the last time you were on the Earth. Last time you were summoned and had a task you were bound to. You were limited in some ways. You'll have more freedom this time since you are not bound, but you also will be more vulnerable to magic since you are in a human's body. And as such, you follow their laws. You can drown. You can still regenerate as long as you can cast the right spells. You have full strength of the body. Other than that, you will appear as the same human host. Speaking of which, he is just about ready. Here we go. The small woman placed a hand on Randy's large chest and chanted softly. Randy felt his chest burn fiercely, and with a brilliant flash, he felt the tugging on his neck, intense panic of suffocating. He realized he was hanging from the rafters of a living room. He reached up and grabbed the rope and pulled himself up enough to relieve the pressure with one hand. The other hand gently grabbed the noose and loosened it. Once it was large enough to clear his head, he pulled it free and dropped to the floor. He took a long, slow breath and smiled. Good to be back. He walked to the nearby bathroom and realized he had all the memories of his host. The host's name was Raz Flesher. His friends called him Razzie. Razzie was definitely a ladies' man, and Randy paused as he reviewed all of Razzie's conquest, making sure there wasn't a particular one he needed to be wary of. The old adage, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, was well earned. Satisfied there was no real threat there, he reviewed other memories and smiled as he realized he had lots of expensive toys at his disposal, as well as hidden cash and multiple identities that Razzie had paid good money for, just in case. Reviewing memories also disclosed why Razzie had decided to be a host. He had been marked at an early age and was foolish enough to broker deals for success. Ah, oh, Razzie, those deals always come back to bite you in the ass. Examining himself in a mirror, he saw he was in his mid-forties, but physically he was in shape. He flexed his arms and smiled. Ethan isn't going to expect me in this. Randy would keep a close eye on Ethan and do as Lucifer asked. Watch and report. He would also fetch the card that Lucifer had tasked him with. The gatekeeper's words haunted him slightly. Hitman. That was probably bad. The good news, though, was the location of the card was in New York and he realized he was roughly an hour away from that location. He would get there quickly, hunt the card down, and if the hitman got in the way, he'd be dealt with. Randy walked to the closet, picked out an outfit was, that was classy and not too showy. He also opened the safe that was hidden and retrieved several pistols, which he noted had never been fired, as well as a couple of boxes of ammo, the cash stash, and IDs. He placed those in a duffel bag and packed up a few more outfits and smiled to himself. His luck was turning, and he was motivated. Randy didn't stay in the apartment long. He had gathered up everything he felt was of value and headed to the garage. There he saw two vehicles. One was a high-end sports car, and the other was a decent SUV. He opted for the SUV as he hopped in, saw a man walking towards him with a look on his face Randy had seen dozens of times before. Razzie, where are you going? We had an appointment this morning, no? Randy knew the man was going to be a problem. Reflecting on a host's memory, found his name and what the appointment was regarding. 
tossing out the key card to the apartment, Randy said, I got stuff to do. The paintings you want are hanging on a wall. Help yourselves to whatever else is there. I'm sure the furniture, the rugs, etc. will compensate you. Razzy, do I look like a moving company? Fair enough. Here. Randy took off the key fob for the high-end sports car, disarmed the alarm, and tossed it to the man who was now ten yards away. The man caught the keys and considered it. Something in his eyes let Randy know it wasn't going to be easy. What else you got? This. Randy took out one of the pistols which he had tucked in his waist. A tricked-out gold Colt 1911 fired off a single round so quickly the man had no time to respond. The bullet hit him perfectly in the head and he dropped. That sucked. Randy was about to get out of the car quickly and debated using spells to cover the scene and realized it was a futile effort. Too sloppy. Should have taken him should have taken the damn car, idiot. The greed some humans possessed amazed him. He continued out of the garage and slowly passed the body and shook his head. Dumbass. He exited the garage and continued the location the gatekeeper had marked in his mind. With traffic, it took him almost two hours to arrive to the small house. He drove past it and a block away found a decent parking. Found decent parking. He knew the SUV was a better choice since the sports car would have stood out too much in the neighborhood he found himself in. It was run down neighborhood. It was a rundown neighborhood and there was palpable feeling of hustle in the air. He casually walked towards the house and noticed several wards around it. Nothing too powerful, but they meant he wasn't going to be able to sneak in. He had other tricks up his sleeves. He returned to the SUV and decided to use some of his old friends. Working quickly, he summoned three health flies that then materialized in the palm of his hand. Let's see what we can see, shall we? He opened the windows and the flies took off with a mission. He closed his eyes and could see through theirs. At first, it was a little disorienting since there was so much information coming in. He focused and the multitude of images turned into normal vision for him. The flies surrounded the small house and managed to fly in close and not cause the wards to trip. That was good. The fly in the rear of the house noted a small opening on a window screen and slowly crawled through and examined the kitchen. The sink was stained but clean. No dishes were there. The table was also clean and a small pile of letters was neatly organized. A cell phone sat on the table as well. The fly in front of the house was looking through the front window and could see a lean man covered in tattoos stretching. He was obviously preparing for a workout. A few knives rested on a long table in front of a couch. A revolver also was there. A large 9mm Chiapa charging rhino, 60 SAR, which caught Randy's eye. There were heavy weights laying around in neat structured order. The last fly was on the side of the house, and it found a way in. It was in the bedroom, and the room was neat and tidy. There was a journal on the side of the bed, and Randy could feel the power coming from there. He knew his chances of taking on a man with the wards around the house would be a bad idea. He opted instead for a subtle solution to the problem. The health flies were special in that they had backsides like scorpions, and their venom was potent. It wouldn't kill a man, but rather would cause torment in the form of hallucinations and severe pain. Mentally, he gave the health flies their orders. They all converged into the kitchen and waited patiently. Randy watched as a man continued stretching, and he spread his legs into a V-shape, leaned forward and stretched to stretch his legs. As he did, the back of his neck presented the perfect target. There. Go. 
The hellflyers were swift and stung the man's neck, injecting their toxin. He screamed out as the searing venom entered his neck. He swatted, managed to squash one of the hellflies, which left a mustard-colored smear on his neck and hand. What the hell is this? he bellowed. He jumped up and grabbed his revolver. His eyes traced the remaining two hellflies, and his mind raced. What had stung him? Was it a swarm of killer bees? His mind began to race, and his pulse sped up, pushing the venom quicker into his system. The hellflies kept attacking, this time going for his face. One stung him under his right eye, and the man slammed the revolver there not thinking and managed to crush the hellfly but also bash his own face. The venom began to affect his mind as he screamed out in pain. Swarms of bees flooded into the house like torrents of liquid. He fired his revolver six times at the non-existent threats. And as he continued to squeeze the trigger, the empty revolver, it did not bark out any longer. The only sound of the hammer clicking back and forth over and over could be heard. Randy saw the opportunity and headed for the house, all the while keeping tabs of the final hellfly which continued to harass and sting the man. Each spot where the man was stung, huge swelts swelled up and gently oozed. Randy neared the front door. Inside the house, magical glyphs lit up, alerting the man that someone was approaching. He ignored the hordes of bees swarming around him and the last stinging hellfly and worked to reload the revolver. Randy kicked in the front door quickly and fired three shots from his 1911, and the man fell. Randy wasted no time as he headed to the bedroom and grabbed the journal. He flipped open the book and saw the large trump glowing softly there. The card was beautiful and in various languages. The title of the card on the bottom constantly shifted until he read the word, Judgment. Nodding to himself, he walked out of the house and the last hellfly followed behind him till he got back to the SUV and snapped his fingers. The hellfly disappeared. Um, and Randy started the SUV and drove on as people who had heard all the shouting Oh, shooting came out to see what was going on. Mm. I think I found a continuity error here. He didn't actually pick up the guy's gun, and Randy actually uses his gun later. That's something I have to remember. Chapter 14, Quest Accepted. The Oracle's Tree, 5.12 p.m. April 5th. Let's see what time. Yeah, we still got time. So let me get this straight. Randy's back? How is that possible? I saw Mordecai stick a blade through his head. He died. Yes, his physical summon body died, but not his demonic essence. Okay, Randy's back, and he has your card. What can the card do? The cards have different abilities. Judgment is interesting because it, all, it makes the possessor immortal as long as he or she has the card on them. It also frees any obligation or curse that shackles someone down. It removes guilt and can raise the dead and allow the user to command them. Raise, r raise the dead? As in zombies? Asked Ethan amazed. Yes. You're, you're serious here? Yes. So Randy can create an army of undead to do whatever he wants. In theory, yes. Most people are unaware of what the Trumps can do. And when combined with other Trumps, other effects can be created. I'm worried there's a master hand at play here. 
I can't see a simple demon just accidentally stumbling on the card. Well, if he was sent, does that mean the devil sent him? Lucifer? I would think that is probable. Only, only Lucifer has the power to grant passage from hell back to earth. I don't mean to sound like a coward or anything, but I have only done a couple of spells. I'd be no match against an immortal demon. The oracle smiled. You won't be alone. I suspect when you get back to your sanctum, you'll have someone waiting for you outside who will help you learn the skills you need. Okay, if you say so. I'm an old man. I don't know how I'll handle training. You are a fresh, young sapling. You're a Nephilim, which means you are very young. You'll do fine. You've seen it? The oracle smiled. Better not tell you now. Seriously? What? Oracle's got jokes? Laughed Sparkles. I'm sure she's referring to Mordecai. Recall, he said he was going to get you trained and such, said Cat. Ethan nodded. The thought of training didn't seem like a fun idea, but Ethan acknowledged and acknowledged he was sorely in need of it, especially if he was going to face demons. And you, Valk, you will do your part to track down information about Ethan's mother. I can't peer into her thread, and as such means either she is hidden from me, or she is no longer on the earth among the living. Here, please take these medallions. These will allow you to communicate with each other, and also you'll be able to return here without having to go through all the barriers. Ethan accepted the medallion as did Valk. Val, can you hear me? Yes, I can, Ethan. I will start my investigations. Any guidance where I should start? Tokyo, Japan. You will need to search there to find and find information about Amaterasu, Mariko Higashi. The other name she is known by is Anari. Her colors are gold and purple. She was rumored to be very beautiful and soft-spoken. Her magic is very strong. We need to find her and learn more about how Ethan here was abducted. I have worked with Les. I'll start now. She started walking away and Ethan struggled for words. Hey, Valk. Yeah. Uh, thanks, he said awkwardly. She smiled. No worries. Try not to die. Yep. Valk walked on, uttered a word and made a movement in the air. And she poured it away. LOL, just wanted to test again. Now you're away. Yes, Ethan. Missed me already, I see. Ethan smiled. Yeah, I guess so. I'll be in touch. Ethan examined the oracle. Is there anything I need to know about these cards? Things like, don't do this, make sure you do this. Yes. Make sure after you get one, you bring it right back to me. You bring it right away back to me. Ethan nodded. Sparkles, you ready? Sparkles jumped down from the, her wooden seat, and Ethan could feel her claws gently touch his calf. Sanctum. A brilliant flash and they were back in the apartment in Utah. So I guess the club trip ended up being a lot more than just simple networking, said Sparkles with a slight grin. No kidding. But hey, better to be busy and learning than sitting around bored and concerned. Ethan nodded. He grabbed the guide stone and, start, and stared at the diamond. Is this an important task we are doing? The diamond flared up and he saw a flash of red and white and a deep darkness covering everything. He stood alone, looked devastated. The ground in front of him revealed a large gaping hole. 
Steam rose from it, and he felt a deep feeling of guilt that ate at his core like an insatiable hunger that sp spread to his heart. He looked around, and as far as he could see, was blasted and devastated. Oh my, said Cat. You can see this, Cat? Ethan asked, surprised. Yes, sparkles. Yeah, man, I see it. What do you guys think? It almost looks like this is my fault. Don't be so quick. You asked the stone if it is important, and the stone showed you this. I would think the answer to the question is yes. It seems this is very important, stressed Cat. Ethan nodded, and the vision faded, and the apartment came back into focus. Ethan was glad they were back. He realized the nagging hunger remained. I'm hungry. You like pizza sparkles? Does a bear take a crap in the woods? Yeah? Ethan pondered the question. Yeah! Sparkles blurted, shaking her head and smiling. Okay, anything special you like? Anchovies, mushrooms, and extra cheese. Thin crust. Ethan shrugged. I've never eaten anchovies. They're delicious. Okay. The guide son flashed quickly, and he felt a stirring in his mind and recognized the feeling of Mordecai. Mordecai? Yeah, mate. What you been up to? It'll take forever to tell you. Then don't say anything. Just share the experience with me. I can help you with this, said Cat warmly. Ethan nodded, and he felt Cat in his mind, and a burst of images shot forth, and Mordecai absorbed it. It reminded him of selecting various video files or image files on a computer and sharing to another folder. Yes, it's very similar to that. We call it experience, experience sharing. Saves a lot of time when trying to get people up to speed on complicated or timely issues. Wow, mate. You have been busy. I've heard of this oral before. Never met her. Those cards of hers are things of legend. Most modern tarot decks are modeled off of the originals. I'm sure the council would agree that the oracle be the caretaker of those artifacts. I agree. It's time for us to start your training. Ethan, grab three of your favorite swords, two of your firearms, and a couple of favorite knives. We're going to need those for your training. Ethan walked around the apartment and realized the sword he had were some of his earlier earliest blades. He grabbed the Reaver Cleaver, the Deuce II, the Apocatana from Zombie Tools. He grabbed his Keltech KSG and his Walther PPX. The blades were harder for him to choose. He grabbed his Topps Knives SXB, Topps Knives M4X Punisher, and his Spartan Folder from Cold Steel. Once he had selected the tools, he smiled. Okay, so once you have your gear ready, you need to go here. Ethan felt a location appear in his mind. How do I know where this is? Remember when we first met? You asked him about the glyphs in the elevator? I told you it's like magic GPS? Yeah, that's how we can share locations. It's just one of many ways we get around. Okay, so I can port there? Yes, I've included enough information at the MGPS that you should be able to safely port to that exact location. You can go. I'll meet you there. See you soon. Ethan took a breath and shrugged. The spell is the same as we used to get to the club, he asked. Oh, the spell is the same we used to get to the club, he asked. Yes, replied Cat. Ethan crafted up two spells, one to get to the location Mordecai sent, and one to get back to the sanctum. You guys ready? Ethan asked, feeling a mixture of anxiousness and fear. Yep, said Sparkles. Yes. Ethan ported to the location and... Location, the overwhelming heat and the light filled his eyes and he pulled the goggles down to shade his eyes. 
He reached down to Sparkles and did the same for her. They were standing in the middle of a vast desert. Wow, it's bright. And what's up with all the damn sand? Ethan shrugged. Cat, did I mess up the spell? No. This is the right location based on the coordinates Mordecai sent you. What the hell? You got me, home slice. This place sucks, meowed Sparkles. The heat was oppressive. The sun weighed down heavily on them. Cat, feel lucky you can't feel this. Man, it's hot. Don't you worry, laddie. Where we go next, it's a lot cooler than this spot. But we need to be here so that we can hitch a ride. Ethan spun and saw Mordecai standing there. Is that just a special skill you have? Sneaking up? Startling people? Sorry, mate. Just how it is with my training. Element of surprise and all that. You're going to learn it all soon. Hey, Sparkles. Got a favor to ask of you. What? When the doors open up, can you hang back? Trainer's kind of kooky and is not a big fan of fake hats. How long you guys going to be gone? I can shift out of the heat and back when you tell me. Uh, on this time, it'll seem like 10 minutes. For us, it'll be like 10 years. 10 years? Asked Ethan, shocked. Dude, there's no way to teach you what you need to know without real training. This ain't the Matrix where I just plug in some cables and suddenly you know Kung Fu. Your body has to learn. Your mind has to learn. Martial magic is a, is a heavy course. Most humans can't handle the training. It's going to be interesting in there. I'm not going to lie. The training has killed lesser folks. I'm sure you'll be fine. Plus, I'll be there with you, working with you. Why do I have a bad feeling about this? Ethan asked. Because you're smart, and you know a sucky situation when you see it. Feel free to consult the Guidestone if you need to. Ethan shook his head. Mordecai had been upfront and honest about everything up to that point. A shimmering door materialized and opened. Beyond the door was a monastery with large rolling hills with grass and purple flowers. A large man and an old man stood there waiting. Ethan hesitated for a moment. I've heard of this place. This is very good for creating strong warriors, noted Cat. Ethan nodded, walked through the door. Sparkle saw Mordecai bow, and Ethan did the same. The door started to close, and Sparkle saw the large man deck Ethan. The punch landed solidly on his jaw. Ethan! She cried out in fear. The door vanished, and Sparkles felt helpless. Sparkles shifted into the astral plane, which allowed her to keep an eye on a location where the door had materialized, and she waited in a cold space since it was more comfortable than the intense heat. After ten minutes, the door started to materialize again. Sparkles phased back into the material plane and held her breath as the door opened. Ethan walked out with Mordecai on his heels. Ethan still had the goggles on, but they were deeply etched and ornate. He wore a purple uniform with gold trim. He was built and looked as if he had an additional 15 pounds of muscle. He wore a large sword on his back, which seemed to be a composite of the three, thor three swords he had gathered earlier. It was also deeply etched with magic and glyphs. On his hip was a pistol, which also glowed brightly with glyphs. He wore leather boots, which had a large blade affixed to it. He turned to face the large man and the old man and deeply bowed and spoke in Chinese to them. They in turn bowed to him. The door closed and Ethan's face sparkles. Good to see you, Sparkles. I really missed you. 
the hell? I saw you get nailed by Mongolian Mongo. I freaked out for what feels like forever, and then you come back all oh, superhero chill. Your humor was missed, chimed in Cat. Okay, so fill a fake hat in. What did I miss? Ethan closed his eyes, and Sparkle felt a large number of experiences coming. She accepted, and her eyes widened, and her mouth dropped. You went through all of this? Ethan nodded. A thousand trolls? A dragon? Vampires? What the hell? Yeah, it was something else. Martial magic. Turns out I'm really good at it. I bet. Mordecai was silent, looked grumpy. What's his problem? He's a sore loser is all, nothing major. Right, Mordecai? Piss off. I still say you cheated. Ethan smiled. He hugged Mordecai. Thank you, brother. Yeah, yeah, you bloody git. I'll still kill you if you go dark. Ethan bowed deeply to Mordecai. I will strive to walk the golden path. Sparkles looked around as Mordecai vanished. Wow, he's faster now with that. Yeah, he improved a lot of his abilities as well. But the time there also aged him. He is, after all, human. So he made up for the physical trade-off and spent a lot of time with his magic. So suffice to say, you're less concerned about Randy now? Ethan looked confused for a moment. Yes, of course, Randy, right. Forgotten about him, yeah. I think I can handle myself. I would think so as well, showed Cat. Oh, look at you two with all the inside jokes and history now. I'm a little jealous. Like I said, I really missed you, Sparkles. Sparkles gave Ethan a sideways glance. I suppose that's cool. Can we go home and get out of this damn heat? Ethan nodded, and when Sparkles was on his foot, he said the word he wished for ten years he could say. Sanctum. A moment later, they were back in the apartment, but he and Cat were far different than they were earlier in the day. Alright, that's where we're going to end it. Get to, um... Ah, actually, you know what? Chapter 15 is pretty short. We're going to read that one, too. Chapter 15, The Pond is Ready. Unreachable location somewhere in the Amazon, April 6th. Mordecai waited, waited patiently, and his mind was racing. Council Master entered, <clears throat> and he was escorted by three women who stared intently at Mordecai. Has it been done? They asked in perfect unison. Mordecai nodded. Yes. He, could, he has completed his training, and the masters agree that he is the most powerful student they've ever trained. The feats he accomplished while at the monastery are nothing short of legendary. The blade he wields is unlike any I've ever seen. And his temperament has been very good. The ten years we chained, he stayed humble and never overreached. I got to know him very well. I can say without a doubt that I am not concerned about him going dark. Very good. We are pleased. You have done well, Mordecai. Why are you troubled? The power trumps have resurfaced, and Ethan is working with the Oracle to retrieve the lost cards. Did you disclose the powers they wield? Mordecai shook his head. No. Three women looked visibly shaken. We must make sure the deck is never assembled again. Mordecai nodded. He's focused on finding the cards. He will find all but the last card. It is safely hidden away, correct? The three nodded slowly. Yes. We have placed it in safe location that only we three know, Mordecai sighed. But he will get the other four, and even with a partially completed deck, the Oracle will be a force to reckon with. Agreed. But she has never moved against us. We do not consider personally a threat. We sense a darker force that may be manipulating the Oracle. 
We will meditate on it and let you know what we discover. The three turned and left quickly. The Count's master seemed deep in thought. What troubles you, master? asked Mordecai. My father's father told me a story of the original oracle. She was powerful, not as powerful as what we've seen with the Nephilim, but still, there was a hushed whisper that she wielded the deck with the power of a god. My father shared the story with me, and the cards were stolen at a great cost. Timing was perfect, and it was the old or it was as the old oracle passed, a new one materialized out of the ashes of the old. Wait, isn't that the story of the phoenix? Yes, the story of the phoenix comes from the long line of oracles dating back to before our people kept history. It's said they are as old as the world, the elder forgotten gods. Mordecai nodded. What do you wish me to do now? Stay close to the Nephilim. Steer him away from us if he starts to figure out where the final card is at. I will do as commanded. Thank you, Mordecai, for your sacrifice. It will be noted. You will be rewarded for your service to the council. All right. That's where we're going to end it. And I hope you guys are enjoying that one. Let's see. What's up, y'all? Finally sat down from cooking, cleaning. Hope Easter was good. Uh, Y'all's not talk. Okay. Anyway, uh, that's going to end this episode. I'm going to probably jump on Discord, uh, hang out there for a little bit. Uh, I might do another video on the Angry Jackalope side. But that's it for now. I hope you guys had a good fucking Easter. I hope you guys are being safe uh, during this quarantine and everything else. And more, uh, more importantly, I hope you guys are enjoying the story here. Let me know what you guys think down in the comments below. And I will see you guys next time. Alright guys.